Find all your favorite movies and shows faster with Xfinity. Just speak into the X1 voice remote to search across live TV, on demand, even Netflix and Prime Video. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Switch to Xfinity today and get a great offer. You'll enjoy Xfinity X1, which gives you access to your favorite streaming apps like Netflix, YouTube, and now Prime Video. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit the store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. You're listening to a Castaway Media Podcast. Find more great shows at castaway.media or find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash castawaypodcasts. Welcome to episode three of Fair Game, the podcast with a firm focus on Irish sportswomen. I'm Elaine Buckley. And I'm Emily Glenn. On this episode of Fair Game, we'll be talking to two Irish sportswomen who are actively pursuing their passions for sport off the pitch. We're all painfully aware of the lack of full-time opportunities that exist for Irish sportswomen and the difficulties our amateur athletes can face juggling their work and sporting commitments. So it's always interesting to see how women who have competed at the highest level of their field incorporate sport into the day-to-day lives beyond the field of play. You can find past episodes of Fair Game on our website castaway.media forward slash fair game. And also don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Fair Game Cast, where you can find all the information you need about this podcast, as well as a constant stream of news and information about women's sports in Ireland and abroad. You can also search and subscribe to Fair Game on iTunes and all other podcasting apps. That way you get a direct download of a new episode as soon as it's released. But back to this show. Coming up later, we're going to be chatting to Irish hockey international Nikki Daly, who after 120 caps and counting, representing her country, is taking a break from elite competition to pursue a career in motorsport stateside. But first, we're joined by a woman who is one of only three Irish captains to lead their team to Grand Slam glory and the only one to conquer the mighty All Blacks. Upon retirement in 2014, after 13 years and 85 caps in green, she was quoted as saying, I have to give something back to the game. Since then, she has certainly been doing just that. Whilst on a career break from teaching, she's here to tell us all about it. Fiona Coughlin, you're very welcome to Fair Game. Hi girls, how's things? Not too bad. Good. So Fiona, you called time on your playing career after the 2014 World Cup, but you you kind of went into the tournament with your decision decision already made. Why was that the right time for you to, to step away from the pitch? God, I don't know if there's ever a right time when your body's still able, but um, it's the end of a cycle and it was my third World Cup cycle that I'd been involved in and it was never really a spoken thing. It was just myself, Lynn, Joy and Goose were always talking about the 2014 World Cup and then Joy jumped ship after the Grand Slam and so it was just, it was just one of those things. Um, I think it was at a point where I didn't know how much more they could get out of me um, how much more the game could develop. We were still in the domestic game in the IRFU, which was kind of a bone of contention that I had that we needed more. We needed more resources. We needed more time together in order to, I suppose, go and win a World Cup. You know, we got to a semi-final. We won a Grand Slam. So it was like, what? what's the next step? And we weren't, there was no even talk of us going into high performance that I had heard of. And um, yeah, so it was just kind of step away after that. And um I suppose I've been involved so long age is a thing as well you know do I want to be retiring when I'm 36 uh, 37 I don't know it wasn't something that was in my head so I just stepped away yeah mm-hmm. but um, whether it was the right time or not who knows like you know I miss it madly and because I'm still physically capable of playing um, you know you're always like what if what if mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Um, had you always intended on taking a career break from teaching to kind of pursue other projects post or about rugby post retirement? Um, no, it's probably one of the maddest things I've probably ever done in my life because my life has always been so structured. College, I was playing international rugby, so that wasn't very mad at all. And then went straight into teaching and um, that obviously teaching was so structured and training was so structured. So it was just... Um, I went back, I worked for a year after I retired and I suppose it was just I needed a new challenge, something kind of, you know, to kind of replace the rugby per se because I had been working all the time prior to that and um, yeah, I kind of went out on a, it was kind of a whim of an idea. I probably didn't put too much thought into it but uh, I've no regrets about it. I probably could have positioned myself a little bit better before taking the career break and had a few plans in place but but I didn't and I, I don't necessarily regret that. You know, I've got to do loads of brilliant things and uh, been involved in a lot of things in the last year so um, yeah I'm planning to go back in September unless something amazing pops up in my way mm-hmm. And you've you've stayed very much involved with rugby since since your retirement from playing um, from, from live match commentary to being a team liaison officer what, what have been the what have you been up to what have been the highlights Yeah I suppose um, being involved in the Men's World Cup was amazing I got that kind of last minute someone pulled out and Gemma Crowley was our manager at the World Cup and she was Pool D manager at the Men's World Cup and someone pulled out last minute she knew I was on the career, a career break so thought I would fit into the role I think it was a bit tough because Italy were in Ireland's pool and you know they had to say it was okay for me to go and work with them being an Irish person and <laughs> um, the manager knew I was an international but none of the none of the the team knew or anything like that but of course it slowly filtered out and um, they all knew and a lot of them were like God you more than double the amount of caps that we have so <laughs> that was kind of funny but um, yeah it was brilliant like you're involved in one of the world's best tournaments and in fairness to England 2015 they pulled out all the stops like problems that arose they were already taught about before like they came to me so there was a solution for them already there was no expense spared and anything the teams just had best of everything and it was a, a super tournament from every perspective from the teams from the fans from the sponsors it was just brilliant and I suppose for me going from an amateur sport into on the sideline as a professional sport um, knowing that we're actually not that far away in terms of what we do on the pitch um, was really kind of I suppose comforting in the sense that we were on the right track and things like that um, seeing the amount of stuff goes on off the pitch that we don't have those support networks the amount of sponsorship all of that involved was just unbelievable um, definitely opened my eyes up to how much sponsorship is actually out there for men's sport and um, but it, it was brilliant to be involved now the Ireland-Italy game was tough and I had I had the Irish fellas calling me a traitor and um, the Italy boys like they were just ignoring me for the week leading into it but uh, no it was a brilliant experience and uh, I'd loved it. like being involved in elite sports was just fantastic yeah mm-hmm. so apart from that uh I haven't done much else doing a bit of um, part-time lecturing in DCU and on the PE programme and um, out with a few students on teaching practice and hopefully get involved in the active schools flag now next Okay and what about the, the kind of match commentary side of things for the for the women's Six Nations do you find yourself do you have to show restraint and not be uh, <laughs> not be going into captain mode on them from the commentary box Yeah I'd say the girls know every time when they're I don't know if they get to watch it back with my commentary but I'd say they probably mute me and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like it, it's it's brilliant that on match day I have a different focus and, you know, I have to just say what I see and um, I, I do have to restrain myself a bit um, and not give too much my opinion because, you know, the girls are playing, it's a different way they're playing, different systems that they're playing, so I don't actually know what they're doing. I can just give my opinion. I really enjoy it though, um, you know, to be, again, you're still involved kind of in match day. I know it's not on the pitch, but you still have some involvement and... Um, 
you know, I was delighted to get to go over to France. There was some experience, there's 12,500 people there and the atmosphere was probably one of the best any women's game that I've been at. And, um, but yeah, I'd say the girls don't listen back. <laughs> That's a, definitely mute. You were saying about the, the level of resources that, that you saw being pushed into the, the men's teams at the World Cup. Um, and women's rugby and the women's game has had um, an awful lot more resources pushed into it since since you retired. What kind of impact do you think that's having on the team structures? Like, it's definitely positive. You know, the girls got um, Autumn International for the first time. You know, getting you're able to blood players then. Uh, they've had so many camps together. They've been in camp once every month since August, where prior to that, we'd only have three full weekends and a match weekend in January. So that amount of time together, getting to know each other, how each other play, is just brilliant. They now have proper, like our lead into the World Cup was outstanding. I can't fault it in terms of strength and conditioning, but now the girls have a plan, plan strength and conditioning to lead up to the World Cup. And just the gains that you get for that, from that physically are just unbelievable. And nutrition going along with that. Whereas previously we'd have probably four months on doing strength and conditioning so whatever gains you get then you kind of up to yourself to keep them going so hopefully we'll have more players playing at a higher level Um, physically they'll be better athletes and hopefully then more girls get involved because they see that it's you know a good structure to be involved in Mm -hmm. and um, kind of in terms of kind of the the grassroots development you've been doing a lot of voluntary work as well in in particular with the the Dublin Dublin City Council's initiatives Um, do you kind of see the enthusiasm for rugby coming through um, at grassroots level? Yeah I was actually out in Clontarf Rugby Club there at the weekend as well and uh, you know there's only small numbers but there was never underage girls rugby before and there's a women's team for them to filter into um, you know with Dublin City Council you see not just girls rugby but boys rugby in the Liberties area you know these I suppose they're not you know strongholds of rugby and probably never had a team in the last number of years I suppose not just women's rugby but rugby in general and all sports I think definitely kids are, are becoming to be more active again there's still a bit of work to do but um, it's, it's positive and it's all going in the right direction I think with the um, national physical activity plan that resources will hopefully be put in at those grassroots level to kind of encourage kids to find what sport is for them because I think a lot of the time I'm firmly a believer that there's a sport out there for everyone but it's just what are they shown what are they what's accessible and what opportunities are they given and you know if it wasn't for me going to college in Limerick um, I'd probably never be playing rugby you know and I've played everything but that's the sport that was the sport for me you know I was kind of jack of all master none when I was growing up <laughs> and uh, you get to college and you find something that just really clicks with you you know so it's giving kids opportunity and accessibility and hopefully we'll see a lot more of that in the next couple of years with more money coming in at those levels and filtering all the way down all the way up mm-hmm. You give um, so much back to sport through your voluntary work with the IRFU Charitable Trust and through Dublin City Council and the Department of Children and Youth Affairs so that's something that's obviously really important to you Yeah I think the benefits of sport are just unbelievable and um, I've had such an amazing journey even prior to playing rugby you know all my school sports you know playing with the local club I'm back playing Gaelic football now with Clontarf back kind of where it all started mm-hmm. um, I think the benefits that the person gets but also the society gets out of people engaged in sport is just unbelievable and you know it's it's money well spent if people put money into sport you know at every level whether it's government putting it in or sponsors putting it in I think they'll get more back in return and um, I think we're starting slowly to realise that and you know we're seeing money coming in from every end but just a, a little bit more <laughs> be nice a little bit more would certainly be great mm-hmm. and um, you, you're kind of someone Fiona who, who continually uses your profile from rugby to 
to kind of advocate for gender parity specifically in, in sport as well and kind of keep the keep the conversation about women in sport going um, how, how do you think like everyone keeps saying you know it's slowly but surely getting better um, how do you how would you rate Ireland in that respect at the moment yeah see I don't look too much at other countries really to see what they're doing I think we should be trying to be the best we can be and, and we're not at the moment um, what needs to be done to get there I, I'm not really sure I don't know whether some government policy needs to come in you know in college we did do a lot on Title IX in America I don't understand I don't really know what the outcomes of that was but you know if you have policy there well people need to do those things and like it's like gender quotas I don't, I don't believe in them um, if it's a means to getting somewhere else okay but you don't want to be put there just because a percentage says that you have to be there you want to be there because you're good enough and I think with things like that it's just about open up opportunities I think if girls or boys or whatever are given the opportunities to do whatever sport they want they will excel um, and at the moment we are probably behind like I, I don't know a country that you can say has got gender par- parity in sport or a sport even you know tennis I suppose is probably the closest mm-hmm. Um it is it's equal prize money you yeah. know tennis and hockey will be up there as well in terms of like events are run yeah. world cups are run at the same time but certainly tennis is in terms of visibility and role models like it's it's equal yeah it's, golf is is getting there but it's nowhere near it like I was even looking at the figures for the UFC last night and mm. um, you know McGregor was one million going into it and home was like I don't know 500,000 you know half of it just and that was just the fee to fight and then he gets so much more from um pay-per-view and things like that and she doesn't get anything and you're just like okay that's somewhere where you could really like make a difference they could have that parity there because it's such a new sport and you know there is so much money in it that that it could be spread so I don't really know what the answer is I think I've said it before I think society needs to normalise women in sport and you know a primary school like is key getting kids engaged and comfortable in their body and what they're capable of doing is really really important and it it kind of annoys me that P at primary school is, is so poor and it's go out and like, and I don't mean to blame primary school teachers you know if, if sport isn't their thing or PE isn't their thing yeah okay of course they're not going to spend 30 minutes every 20 minutes every day on it they're going to do it when they have to do it which is just once a week so it's not necessarily the PE or the primary school teacher's point of view but maybe put dedicated primary school teach, uh, PE teachers into primary school you know the kids are learning the fundamental skills that make them comfortable in their body comfortable in their skill and it's given them a wide kind of berth of different sports that they or activities that they can engage in Um Apart from that, you know, sponsors are are coming on board, you know, the likes of Liberty, Aon, you know, those Continental Tires, those companies coming on board. But I just, we need more of them. And I can't, it's always this, you know, when someone, something's successful that they get on board, mm. be part of the journey. Like, don't just be there for the glory at the end. The journey is is way worth it, you know, so get involved on the journey. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's, it's and we've, we've kind of spoken a lot on, on this podcast so far about kind of the, the the little sponsorship of of um, ladies football and um, it's just going to be really interesting to see how that com- how that follows through first of all for football but also will other sponsors go right I want to I want a part of that and pick another sport and and be the be the the driver for kind of putting money into into them yeah and in fairness they seem to have done it well you know I, I don't know about the whole what was it lady ball at the start but you know the impact that that had but then the follow through on it like it's very public now it's very visible um, so it wasn't just a token sponsorship like they were going gung-ho to support and I suppose make it more visible so the more I, and I think the companies get more from that because they get payback from the from the athletes like you know 
Um, Aon have obviously been very good to the Irish women's rugby team and they've invited us over to their office over in, in um, London and you know we're only too delighted to go it's it's a lovely experience and talking to the staff about what what difference it makes to have a sponsor like of Aon status on your jersey like I'm not a soccer fan but they sponsor Man United so mm-hmm. it's good enough for Man United you know we're at that top table then with them sponsoring us mm-hmm. So the, finally, the, the Six Nations is ongoing and there is a seven squad with a shot at an Olympic qualification and a World Cup on home soil next year. So there's a lot to love about Irish women's rugby at the moment. But what are you most looking forward to? Um, I think it's definitely a World Cup. You know, uh, having it in Ireland is amazing. And, you know, I have to commend, commend the IRFU in the last kind of two years. They've come up trumps, you know, hosting, hosting competitions. The girls going into high performance. But to get a play, to play on home soil, like we see the difference that home advantage makes, you know, in Six Nations every year and um, to have the crowd there behind you. And I think it's great for the team to have that in the back of their head that, you know, they're going to be playing there. So that keeps driving them, you know, every training session, that's that's going to keep driving them. And, you know, I don't know how it's going to go. There's obviously been a lot of change in, in the um, squad over the last year. So obviously you're going to be looking for they're going to be gung-ho to win a World Cup but realistically all other teams are going to be up in their game from the last World Cup New Zealand are going to be bitterly disappointed to not even make the semi-finals of the last World Cup they'll have players going back in England are going to want to try and retain it um, I see Fiji now have just re-implemented their 15s programme in a, in a hope they're all actually hosting the Oceania qualifier you know if you have those type of teams coming through and um I hope it just makes for an exciting competition and that we do a really good job of hosting it and I think things are going to be put in place to make it one of the best you know France was really good so it's, you always want to look to be better than, than the last one so that's something that we'll be looking towards um, along with that the TV coverage of the French uh, World Cup was unbelievable in, not just in France alone but worldwide and we think to look at that to expose the game a little bit more so it'll definitely be the World Cup you know not taking my eye off the Six Nations it's obviously we're out of probably contention for it this year but it's still a development and it's good to see new girls coming into the squad and seeing what they're capable of and they're going to be putting their hand up for selection next year so it's all part of that process Um, likewise with the Sevens girls coming in you know they're still in it for Rio it's really tough Europe's the toughest continent to get out of Um, a lot of the girls haven't played much rugby I think it's going against them a little bit in saying that Russia isn't necessarily the stronghold of women's rugby but they're doing a fine job on the seventh circuit and um, at the moment I think it's Russia's place to take with Spain and Ireland battling out for that second but sport is sport like anything could happen um, you know Russia lose a few of their key players We're, we could be looking to peak then have Russia peaked too early who knows but uh, yeah it's exciting and then some of those girls have put their hands up for selection for the World Cup as well and uh, you're looking then at a, probably a squad of 40 odd people look really fighting for 26 places and then fighting them for the match day 23 so we need that depth we probably lacked it at the last World Cup um, you know we couldn't rest players in the first three games whereas England had the luxury of rotating their squad fully in the first three games was that the reason we lost? No we imploded completely but I think England were always going to win that day um, so I think the team have probably a few things to make right and you know change it around and what better place to do it than at home yeah that's a, that's a very fair point and we are certainly looking forward to following their journeys we're also um, we'll hopefully be listening to you commentating on those journeys <laughs> um, Fiona thanks so much for coming in no worries thank you
Later this month, Nikki Daly will be jetting off to New Zealand with the Irish hockey squad to compete, compete in the Hawks Bay Cup against some of the top-ranking teams in the world. However, afterwards, she'll be taking a break from hockey to get her career on track, quite literally, by relocating to Indianapolis for the summer and taking up a position as a trainee engineer with Pro Mazda. She's here now to tell us all about the adventure that lies ahead. Nikki, you're very welcome to Fair Game. Thanks for having me. Nikki, hockey to motorsport, that's quite a drastic change. Have you got racing in your blood? Yeah, I suppose like for people who probably know me, they wouldn't think it's that drastic of a change. Um, because, yeah, there is racing in my blood. My dad was a successful racing driver in Ireland for about 20 years. Um, my uncle was a Formula One driver. And my cousin is now racing in IndyCar Series, which is the top level in America. So, yeah, it's not that strange when when, when you look at my background. <laughs> and about your rise in hockey. So did you play it from a young age? If, if all your family kind of did racing, how did you find yourself in hockey? And at what point did it kind of become more serious for you? Well, I started playing when I was in uh, secondary school. So I was about 12 or 13. And it's actually funny because I never knew what a hockey stick was. (laughs) I didn't know anything about hockey. And I actually remember the the first time I picked up a stick. I was with my mom in the um, (coughs) uh, school uniform shop. And they had this big bucket of hockey sticks. And I I think I remember it so clearly because I just, I spent so long looking at it going, what the hell is this thing? (laughs) I thought it was a hurl gone wrong, basically. (laughs) And um, she picked it out anyway and was like, here, you'll need one of these. And I was like, what is that? And she's like, it's a hockey stick. And then we got home and she was trying to teach me how to to play with it. And the first thing I did was use both sides of the stick. And she's like, no, 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 you can't use both sides of the stick. You have to, you can only use one side. And then quite literally after that, I just threw the stick and went, well, that's stupid and walked off. And I think for probably my first year in school, I was quite stubborn to the idea of, of playing hockey because I'd played Gaelic football for, for quite a few years and that was all I wanted to play. But they didn't have it in, in the school I went to, so it was either hockey or basketball. And, well, I'm a bit short for basketball, so <laughs> hockey it was. And then from, I suppose, from, from school after kind of senior level, did you go straight on to club hockey or did you just stick with the football for a while? or? Yeah, I played hockey up until sixth year and then I hadn't played really in a club all through school so I played a little bit in in Dios um, but I kind of switched my focus towards uh, playing GAA playing football and I played football for about four years so I didn't really play hockey um, that competitively for about four years and then when I was about 21 I went back played for Glenan in my first year at sort of under 21 and then Graeme Shaw, who's the now Irish coach, he was the Leinster under-21 coach at the time. And he just, he picked me for the under-21s. And from that, I got a call into the Irish squad from Gene Muller, who was the coach at the time. And that's sort of when it kind of kicked off and, and got a bit serious. And yeah, it's been hockey kind of ever, ever since then. So, mm. And up until now, kind of between your club and international and kind of moving around playing for different clubs you've you've kind of successfully juggled your hockey aspirations along with laying groundwork towards a career in motorsports so so why is now the right time to kind of make the switch um well I think when you play in the Irish team there's never really a great time to go 
because the program runs all year round so it's you know there's never a good time to kind of go and say right I'm going to focus on my career without walking away from hockey completely and I don't think I'm ready to walk away completely so with not making the Olympics this year it kind of our schedule is not as kind of jam-packed as we would have liked it to be um, and so we don't really have any major tournaments on over the next six months other than New Zealand so I just kind of felt this was sort of the right time in the stage that I'm at with hockey and in the stage I'm at in life to go and get some experience in my career. <laughs> For those of us who don't speak hockey um, what's happening in New Zealand? <laughs> So in New Zealand, it's um, it's an invitational tournament. We've been invited out to play in, um, it's called the Hawks Bay Cup. And there's going to be a lot of the top nations there. So New Zealand, who are ranked, I think, fourth at the, the moment. They're quite highly ranked. Australia, um, Japan, Korea, uh, India, Canada. Um, Who's the other one? China. China, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of Olympic teams going to be there. So it's good test for us to see how we match against teams you know preparing for the Olympics Absolutely and um, of course af- after that tournament when you're, when you're relocating to, to Indianapolis what's your background in, in, in motorsport racing I'm presuming that uh, you can't just breeze into a job as a, as a motorsport engineer No I um, well I did my undergrad in mechanical engineering and then I went on and did a masters in England in motorsport engineering so that was sort of where, when I decided to switch the focus to motorsport rather than just, you know, mechanical or general engineering. Um, and then from the Masters, I, I did my thesis with a Formula One team, Force India, which was great. Got to see a lot of, you know, how the Formula One teams work and sort of the engineers, how they work and the different types of engineers that, that work within a team. Um, from then there, I went and worked for Ford Motor Company as a test engineer testing the engines in the engine plant so again that was more sort of valuable engineering related to automotive industry motorsport industry and yeah I've worked a little bit here and there with the sort of junior race teams in England so kind of Formula 4 teams um, just trying to learn as much as I can so this year I'm really wanting to get stuck in and doing some proper engineering and again learning as much as I can So what's the plan for when you get over there? What is your day to day going to be like in Indianapolis? Well I get back from Hawke's Bay on the 12th of April and then I leave on the 18th for Indianapolis because the first race that I can get to is on the 22nd so usually during the week um, the engineers sort of prep the cars look at some data for whatever track they're going to go to or it could be past data from races before um, and then it's you know leave on probably like a Thursday with the team go to the track set up um, you'll have qualifying on maybe a Friday and then it's a, a double race weekend so you'll race Saturday and race Sunday and then load up the truck back to Indy and then back to the shop sort of during the week again so I'll probably get to see a lot more states than I would have ever have seen before um, with all the races. There's about, I think, 14 rounds. So I think that's about eight different tracks uh, around all of the United States. So it'll be good to see a bit of America while I'm there as well. Yeah, getting a bit of travel in. That's, um, 
this, that's going to be so exciting. Have you any aspirations to ever get behind the wheel yourself? Oh, I'd love to have got behind the wheel. <laughs> Just nobody let me. <laughs> um, no, it was something that I probably would have liked to have done when I was younger, but my dad was so involved at running himself. You know, he had himself to look after in his race car that it was just too much to try and sort of get me involved or even my brother at the time. He would have probably liked to have had a go as well. Um, So that's just the way it went. And I think if I got a chance in maybe a a lower formula car just for a bit of fun, I'd, I'd probably give it a go, but nothing too serious. So hockey is kind of widely considered to be one of the most gender neutral sports, but motorsport is notoriously male dominated. Did that kind of impact your decision making? Did it? Is it something that you considered? No, not really. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I understand that, yeah, it's a mostly male dominated sport. But actually in the recent years, I've heard of a lot of female engineers now not just being involved in motorsport but actually um, making it to the top so there's you know women out there who are now chief engineers and team managers you know so they've got they've worked their way up to the highest level and I think for me you know as long as I'm willing to work hard you know have confidence in the ability I have then I don't see why there's any reason like I can't fulfill the same role as anyone else so I don't really think about it too much as male or female it's just whatever I want to do I'll it's do a, my best <laughs> it's a good it's a good approach to have and especially with with so much kind of family history in the sport as well no doubt you've picked up a lot from your uncle and is it Connor Connor Daly Connor your yeah my cousin yeah my uncle's great you know he's obviously been around the sport for god 30 40 years maybe even more um and he still has a big influence in motorsport right like at at this time and obviously with his son racing as well he has all the information you know he's helped me a lot um in what I'm trying to achieve as well not just with motor racing but actually with hockey as well so yeah he's a good one to have on side mm-hmm. I'm sure the kind of experience kind of playing at high level hockey do you think some of that will relate back to kind of this new challenge like you'll be taking stuff off the off the hockey pitch with you into this new adventure yeah I think I think there is some things you can probably transfer over like you know working under pressure is certainly something that happens a lot in motorsport and something that happens when you play for Ireland in you know those high pressure games or whatever Um, and just the experience of working with a team working with people and how to communicate with people and just continue trying to get the best out of yourself I'll just try and transfer you know the things I did to get the best out of myself in hockey to get the best out of myself as an engineer and obviously you're not ready to I'm well I'm delighted to hear anyway that you're not ready to hang up the hockey stick for good yet and um, you and the, and the Irish squad had agonizingly missed out for qualification for the Olympics this year in Rio um, so what's next as kind of beyond New Zealand as the long-term focus for for the squad going forward um, I think, you know, just you take it in four-year cycles. So, yeah, unfortunately, it didn't go our way this time. But, it, you know, straight away, we s- switch our focus to the next Olympics, 2020 in Tokyo. And also, you know, you got a World Cup before that in 2018. And you've got the Europeans, which were back in the A division for, which are, is in 2017. 
So you've got a lot going on, you know, you've got a lot to start preparing for. So the preparation pretty much started straight after Valencia. You know, we had Europeans, got back up to the A division. We've got Hawks Bay coming up now. We've got World Cup qualifier coming up in Malaysia next January. So there's not really much time to stay... In, to, dwell, to dwell on to it. To dwell on it, yeah. You've got to just switch the focus back and, and start preparing again. Mm-hmm. So. Well, we are very much looking forward to cheering on the Green Army as, as they progress onwards and uh, roll on the World Cup and roll on Tokyo 2020. That's it. Thanks for joining us, Nikki. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fair Game. Visit our website, castaway.media slash fairgame for previous episodes and check back fortnightly for future episodes. You can also search and subscribe to Fair Game on iTunes and have these future episodes downloaded direct to your device. Special thanks to our guests for this episode who took time out from their busy schedules to join us. You can keep up with Fiona on Twitter at Cochlin Fiona and Nikki and her adventures stateside at NikkiDaily22. Whilst you're on Twitter, make sure you follow us too. Our username is at FairGameCast. As well as updates about the podcast, you'll get a ton of articles and news about sportswomen in Ireland. We'd love to hear from our listeners too. Let us know your thoughts on episodes so far, episodes you'd like to hear in the future, or just anything you have to say about women's sports using the hashtag FairGamePodcast. You can also comment via the castaway.media website. That's it for this episode. We'll talk to you again in two weeks' time. your car month at napa and to show your car the love get a napa bucket for 2.99 and save 20 percent on almost everything you can fit inside like car wash car wax and tire shine so save some cash and look good doing it by getting 20 percent off with the napa bucket quality parts helpful people that's napa know-how napa know-how at participating napa auto parts stores exclusions apply minimum three items may not be combined with other offers offer ends 4 30 19